By a unanimous vote this spring, state lawmakers voted to create a fiscal cliff task force that will study the income cutoffs used to qualify for public assistance programs and make recommendations on what those thresholds should look like moving forward, if they should exist at all. To discuss the legislation and the issue of benefit cliffs more broadly, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Therese Daly, Deputy Director for the New York Association for Training and Employment Professionals. Welcome back to the show, Therese. Thank you so much, David. It's always a pleasure to be here. So for starters, can you explain what a benefit cliff is and and I guess the awkward choice that it presents for New Yorkers who are on public assistance as they approach this cliff? Essentially, a lot of public assistance programs based on income eligibility inadvertently create a fiscal cliff. So individuals who want better career pathways and they want to, you know, go on and and experience more in life, the small increase in their income earned results in a disproportionate decrease in the benefits. So essentially, they go on to try to do something better, get training, et cetera, go through a program, and they're actually their public assistance is cut off. And then they're already two steps behind of where they already were. So it really is cyclical on the cycle of poverty. And that is, it's not okay. So NIATEP has been on the forefront of trying to get an income disregard. And that is what was included in the state budget that we're particularly proud of. So why this bill came out into fruition is under Senator Prasad's leadership, it would establish a fiscal cliff task force. And the idea would be to do a study on it and understand how best we can help those individuals who want clear pathways. Well, you mentioned that income disregard. What is the ramification of that for people who aren't familiar with those buzzwords? So what it does is it disregards, quotes, the income that they're making on the, in the new you know, apprenticeship job program, et cetera, and says, we're going to disregard what you're making because it's taking them off the public assistance because it's making too much. So what this does is it says, we're going to disregard that income. We're going to let you get settled for six months. And then after the six months, you lose your public assistance. Where we found in our members who work with those who have low wages or who are, have low wages but wanting to you know, experience better for their life and, and go on to a career or in a new you know, opportunity is they couldn't even get out of the cycle because the minute that they started the new opportunity, immediately their benefits were cut off. So the income disregard is a ignoring of the new money that they're making for just six months while they're training. And how big of a problem is this in terms of the type of public assistance that can be impacted by a benefit cliff? For example, is it limited to just maybe medical coverage, like qualifying for Medicaid, or does it extend to other things like programs that help people afford housing or or food, for example? So that's a great question. It, it, this we're tailoring towards those who are in the workforce sector. So who are trying to expand their career pathways. So we're really, we're really focused strictly on the workforce sector when we talk about this. And it isn't just to clarify, it is a major issue with this within this. And it's a huge barrier for a lot of people, you know, from Buffalo to Montauk that we serve. So that's why, you know, this legislation became into fruition because it was identified to us as the ultimate barrier for those who wanted to have a better pathway. But in terms of the types of assistance that could be impacted by a fiscal cliff, is it 
everything that someone might potentially get from the state, whether it's Medicaid or help buying food or, or housing assistance? Or, or is this something where we see it's really only a problem with certain types of uh, assistance for the, say, working poor? Yeah, no, it includes everything. Like this is childcare subsidies. This is, you know, health this is sometimes uses used for transportation for them to get to the opportunities like this is all encompassing i would also just point out those that are on public assistance they're not able to have a savings account you're not able to at that point when you're on even actively save the money it's strict so that's the other reason we found this is that a, a disregard allows them to have a little bit of a buffer pay for the daily uses and then then get started paying at their new opportunity which often can take a while too. So not everyone gets paid the minute you start, right? You start an opportunity, it could take a while to get paid. So that's why the six month is in the position it is. So in addition to studying fiscal cliffs, the legislation establishing the task force that we're talking about is also supposed to make recommendations. Does your organization have some ideas on the proper policy responses that uh, the task force should consider recommending? Absolutely. We have so many. And we, I would also be remiss if I didn't say that we have been so supportive and, and really thrilled to be, you know, this whole process be right by Senator Prasad's side under her leadership. And we've been thrilled to have Assemblymember Davila as the new social services chair on the assemblies. With that, you know, we've been along, you know, their side this whole process, and we couldn't be more thrilled with the potential creation of this task force. And we do, we have many recommendations, probably all very selfish tonight, Deb, but in an ideal world, we would love there to be no cap on what they could earn. So, you know, that would be an ideal thing. We'd also love rep representation from maybe potentially some of our members, you know, our organizations. We'd love to have uh, NIATEP membership be represented too. So in an ideal world, we'd love to have NIATEP all over this. Well, does there have to be some sort of threshold for phasing out public assistance? And if it does, does it just need to be uh, more gradual than, say, uh, the cliff metaphor? I would say no, not really. So once on public assistance, always on public assistance, no matter what you end up doing with your life? No, it's the job. It's so it's basically forced on, focused on job training and also, it's once in a lifetime. So that's also key. So you cannot go, I think that's what you're asking, is you can't just keep going from training to training and in different careers and hope to get an income disregard every time. It's a once in a lifetime deal. Right. But I guess I'm asking about the issue of the benefit cliff more broadly and what you think is the way to potentially and someone's reliance on, on public assistance. So once someone has uh, maybe gone back to school and has gotten a, a better paying job, a job that allows them to support themselves, is that when they come off public assistance? Or, or how should we think about that transition so that it's not, say, a benefit cliff? When we talked with our members who talked with the individuals who wanted to take part in the opportunities but were barred from due to the potential of losing their public assistance, the idea was that six months was a, enough time for them to adjust to the new, the new situation, have money for themselves, and be able to be on their own. Six months was the time that it takes an average New Yorker who would have been on public assistance to be able to be off of public assistance. So I think, you know, so the six month has a purpose and it has a point because we found that really 
a lot of the people who are on public assistance, they're one paycheck away from homelessness and poverty. So this way it gives them time to adjust, time to have a better, you know, career pathway because they're also learning, right, during this whole process and they're able to support their family, childcare, et cetera. So it sounds like the focus is in creating a long enough runway once someone has the new job and not necessarily so focused on the threshold for when someone would need to begin that timeline. Yes, exactly. It's meant to give them time to be able to say, ah, take a deep breath, enjoy, focus on the the training. Save, you know, it they can often pay, you know, have gas for their car, you know, safer car potentially, also transportation, general childcare, which we know childcare is such an issue. And this subsidy that um, being on public assistance allows them to have a little bit of a, a leeway for six months. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. We've been speaking with Therese Daly. She's the deputy director for the New York Association for Training and Employment Professionals. Therese, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much, David. It was a pleasure as always. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.